Do the narrative elements in the Bible downplay its historical reliability? When you think about a book that is especially memorable to you, probably the reason why is because of its plot, because of the storyline, because of the character development, because of the rising action and falling action, the climax, the resolution, all of these things that we normally associate with narratives. Well, as it turns out, when we open up our Bibles and start to look at the structure, we start to see those elements present within the Bible. We see elements of irony, character development, plot, rising action, falling action, all of those things. And for some people, that actually is alarming because it looks as if the Bible is written in such a way that does not hint at a historical fact, but rather just a form of literature that is given to us to use for what we could say would be just personal development or moral lessons or encouragement and those kind of things. Basically how we would use any other book of literature. Well, around the 18th century, and especially once we got into the 19th century, the historical criticism of the Bible really grew and took off in places like Germany. And for whatever reason, it's really stuck. Um, You can see it in the United States. Most of the liberal seminaries and Bible colleges, certainly all the liberal denominations, um, have a huge skepticism to the historical reliability of uh, the narratives in the Bible. And so what they do is they say, there's no reason to take this as uh, historically accurate, or there's no way to even see it necessary that we take it to be historically accurate. But we can actually take some great uh, lessons for life, some kind of spiritual significance from any of these passages without the need for it to be historically accurate. And that's kind of the attitude. Maybe you've even encountered that uh, with some professing Christians that you would be shocked when you heard uh, that they don't look at the flood or um, the narrative of Moses' life or Jonah swallowed by the whale as historically accurate. And so uh, certainly not the context I grew up in. Um, But I do find it interesting, actually, that one of the best books I've ever read on biblical narratives is a book written by a man who, uh, at every point after he uh, shows you the supreme uh, literary structure of these narratives, especially in the Old Testament, that he then goes at great lengths to sidestep that and make sure we understand that these are not historically accurate. And it's a sad thing that for some reason there's no way in liberal theology, there's no way to accept the narrative appreciation of the Bible and the historical reliability of the Bible. It seems as if it has to be one or the other. And in fact, even many people who accept the historical reliability are outright ignorant to the narrative structure of the Bible, uh, the the literary forms, the genres that are present, and that we should actually um, take those, appreciate those, and study them as such. To me, there's no reason why they should be pitted against each other, but for whatever reason that people have, they they just are. 
And so what I want to first do is tell you there's no reason for us to set up that dichotomy uh, between the two. So let, let me give you a consideration here. When we think about the book of Exodus, for example, um, there is a huge uh, flow of the text in making an argument for the reader. The argument is a historical situating of the fact that God has delivered his people out of Egypt. For example, when God gives the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, to Moses, Aaron, and all the people, he starts it out. The preface to the Ten Commandments is this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So what God does here is he grounds the moral applicability of the Ten Commandments in a historical um, context. He bases the fact of giving them the Ten Commandments and living for him on the reality of what he has historically done. So regardless if you believe that's true or not, you at least have to uh, recognize the fact that the Bible itself grounds the Ten Commandments or the spiritual significance, the moral applicability, the, the things that people in liberal theology want to hold on to, God grounds that in the historical occurrence of what he has done for the people of Israel, which is given to us, by the way, in narrative form earlier on in the book of Exodus. So there is, even as early as that point, there is a direct connection f between uh, the narrative of the text, what has happened previously in Exodus, and the uh, moral applicability. And these things come together in a um, an argument from the Bible itself that it is historically reliable. It is making an argument for history. When we get uh, later on into the Old Testament, uh, the book of Nehemiah, when all of Israel has now come out of uh, Babylon, and they have spent, you know, generations there um, under slavery. They have been banished from their land, and all of God's people form back together um, with the rededication of their place. And it says that when Ezra and Nehemiah and all of those who gathered together um, were assembled into one place, um, they opened up and read from the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now again, we have to wonder where this law came from and why is it why is it identified in this way if there is not a historical Moses, there's no historical connection um, between this man Moses, the Ten Commandments, what God has done, and the people generations removed. Nehemiah and all of his associates. Okay, so that's an Old Testament argument. There's a lot of years between Ezra and Nehemiah and Moses. But what about the New Testament? Well, we can look no further than Jesus himself. Jesus readily uses narratives from the Old Testament, and he does not hint at using them in a way other than assuming their historical accuracy. For example, Jesus mentions the events of Moses in the burning bush. And by the way, this is a supernatural occurrence in, in the narrative, that this is a miracle that God does with the burning bush 
Jesus cites that, Mark 12, 26. Or the events of David's life, Mark 2, uh, 25 and 26. Paul then takes the fact of Jesus' own death, resurrection, and ascension as a historical occurrence. So, And again, we, we could even say that the Gospels are narrative in structure, largely narrative in structure. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, this didn't happen, historically happened, as point of fact, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So, what all of these passages, that of Nehemiah, that of Moses in the book of Exodus, that of Jesus in the Gospels, they're all narratives, but they all assume a historical reliability, even in the midst of plot, uh, character development, irony, all of these literary devices, literary forms. There is no tension in the Bible itself between historical accuracy and the narrative uh, elements. I think that it is a sad occurrence that these two have been pitted against each other so much. But one thing we can at least be sure of is that this tension doesn't happen from the Bible. If you want to go to the primary source and ask yourself whether this tension is present, then you can rest assured to know that there is no tension in the Bible. The tension comes from criticism from outside the Bible that is then imposed upon the Bible. And so you just have to wrestle with the fact of where does the authority rest? Is it in the content of the Bible itself or is it from the criticism that is imposed upon the Bible from outsiders? Now that of course brings up issues of of truth and issues of authority, but at least we can be sure that there is no problem in the Bible itself. In fact, Paul says the only problem, that citation from 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the only problem that arises is if we dismiss the historical reliability of the Bible. And so what Paul says is really an indictment to those who would want to still utilize the Bible and yet dismiss its historical reliability even that of the supernatural and the resurrection of Christ. If you're going to dismiss that, there's no Christianity. There's no useful Bible remaining for you. Paul says, our preaching is in vain, so the heralding and the proclamation of the word, and your faith is in vain, the acceptance of the word. You have to have all or nothing is really what Paul is saying. And that has to be the case for us. And so the encouragement is, if you do not appreciate the narrative structure and the literary forms that are in the Bible, you need to start paying attention to those because they can deepen your understanding and appreciation for God's Word. However, if that's all you appreciate and you think there's some way that you can appreciate those without requiring an appreciation of historical accuracy, then the Bible itself says to you, why are you even reading this? These are otherworldly proclamations about life, death, eternal life, and who Christ is, who God is as he deals with his people through history, as he calls us to himself. And if somehow we say that didn't happen historically, then we may as well forget ever reading our Bibles because there's no reason to. Maybe you can appreciate the literary structure of it, but if we 
dismiss it down to just another book alongside other works of literature, it's really a slap in the face to God and a great disrespect of what His Word is as He gives it to us.